I always want you to turn there with us. I always want you to look at scripture with, with us that, so you know I'm not making anything up, but you're certainly going to need to do it today. There's all kinds of weird stuff in here. There's beasts again, goats, rams, a lot of horns. So Daniel 8, turn there with me. I was thinking this week about the, uh, the first time I went on a long road trip with my family as a kid, um, and it was to Florida. I really thought we'd never get there, like for real. And if you're a parent and you've taken kids on trips, you know how that goes, and you know what they ask, right, like every 10 minutes? Are we there yet? Even though you try to communicate to them different ways, right? Like, well, you know how, like you get up in the morning, and, you know, you eat breakfast, and then, like, you know, Several hours later, you go to bed, like, what's well, going to take that long? And, and it just doesn't compute. You know, you're 30 minutes down the road, you haven't got to Paducah yet, and uh, are we there yet, right? And, and as we approach some of these passages, particularly when it comes to apocalyptic literature, as we talked about last week, and if you missed last week, that's just, uh, it, again, apocalyptic has been uh, sort of uh, hijacked and rebranded as, you know, some really weird, it usually has zombies in it, but it actually doesn't mean zombies, it, it just means revealing, and it's, and it's particular prophecy or literature that's talking about how the world is going to end, right? How Jesus is going to bring this all to a somewhat violent close, and, and then, you know, um, install his kingdom finally, fully, and forever. And so, so that's what we're talking about, and it's generally prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet. It's one thing to open up prophecy in the Bible and, and, and look at the ways that God has fulfilled them already and to high-five, and man, that's awesome of our God. But when it gets into things that haven't been fulfilled or sort of partially in, in their partial prophecies about, you know, in the past and in the future, and it, it gets really interesting. And and it gets people distracted. And a lot of people, for, for now thousands of years, generation after generation, there's been people that have uh, read passages like this and get distracted about the details, right? Get distracted about the beast and the signs of the times and all of these things. And, we, and, and now every generation has labeled at least one or two antichrist, right? Like, at least once or twice, that's, you know, we've been sure that this is it, Right? And, and we've been sure that the mark of the beast was what, like debit cards? And then, uh, you know, some of y'all got to chip in you, some of you don't. Like, it's just, we don't know, right? Um, and so there's just a perpetual need to, like, find these details and wonder if this is it. And, and in a lot of ways, what we are doing when, when we collectively as humans look for that and wonder, we're, we're a lot like the kid in the car asking, are we there yet? Right, because we don't have the patience or the, the perspective to see the long term, right? So as I'm traveling as a kid in a car, I have no idea what it takes to get to Florida. Like my parents could have told me, all right, we're going to spend several hundred miles on I-24, and then we're going to shift to, what I don't know, 75 or 65 or whatever. And, we'll, you know, but it, it wouldn't have mattered to me. All I know is I'm in the car, and I'm wondering, you promised me a beach. I see no beach. Why aren't we there yet, right? Like, and I'm just anxious as a kid. And, and you know, even as we're seeing some of the landmines, I'm like, or the landmarks, right? I remember when we crossed into Georgia. I'm like, okay, cool. We've made it a long way, right? Georgia's right next to Florida. And then hours later, we're still in Georgia, right? And I'm really confused as a kid, right? And then you get to Florida, and I'm like, yes, we made it. And three hours later, we're still not there yet, right? Because I understand Florida's a long state, so we just don't have those perspectives a lot of times as a kid and as adults whenever we are approaching this prophecy. We're looking at where God is taking us 
oftentimes we're like those kids where we're in it. Okay, does that mean we're there yet? Is that, okay, I see that. Does that mean we're there yet? Are we there yet? And so um, it's important to remember as we approach these things, and I think it's one of the lessons we're going to see from Daniel today, is that part of what we got to remember is that we got to trust our God knows where he's going. He knows why he's taking the route that he is. And it may not always make sense to us, but I promise that it'll be worth it in the end, that the trip is worth taking. Amen? And so that's kind of the perspective we're going to need to keep as we approach some of this stuff and, and we look ahead. And there's going to be a, a, a theme that um, is going to be repeated a lot. Now, as we these last few chapters of Daniel is going to have several visions. And last week we looked at sort of this grand scheme, you know, um, several different kingdoms that will come and how God's sovereign over that. Today we're going to zoom in on just a couple of those kingdoms and, um, and get some really particular uh, details from, uh, from Daniel that God gives him about the future for Daniel. It is now the past for us, and it's going to give us some encouragement about how awesome and in control our God is. So I'm going to ask him for help really quick as we approach this, this really incredible but pretty um, spectacular and therefore difficult passage. So uh, I would invite you to, to pray with me and just ask God to speak. God, would you do that? Would you speak through us? Would you bring clarity um, to your kingdom and to your glory through this beautiful passage? Lord, would you use me to that end uh, for your glory, for hope in you and not in any other? Um, Lord, would you just magnify the details, the, the things that you want us to cling to and and, and give us the faith to receive and hold the rest in an open hand, but to trust in you ultimately as our good Father, who, and you know where you're going, and you know why you're taking us the route that you are. So help us to have faith in that, Lord, um, as we open up your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's look at Daniel 8 together. Um, I have no idea how this is going to go. Um, we're just going to read it, and we'll, uh, we'll try to draw out some, some, some thoughts. If I try to preach verse by verse, we'll be here all day. And I know y'all don't want that, so just pray for me, and we're going to read it, and we'll try to make some observations and some applications, uh, primarily at the end. So what you're going to see is another vision from Daniel, okay, that Daniel receives, and Daniel's communicating to us, and then you're going to see the last half is going to be the interpretation of the vision. So just hang with me for the first part, we're just going to read it, and then when we get to the interpretation, we'll start talking about what does it mean and what what can we take from it, all right? So just hang with me for the first part, and and read along. Verse... One of chapter eight says, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. So contextually, um, remember Daniel has historically already spanned us a little over 70 years, and now Daniel is sort of going back and reflecting. So the first six chapters were narrative, walking through those history uh, and those stories, and now we're, we're going back. And so this is the third year of Belshazzar, and Belshazzar is the guy who has the writing on the wall and, and dies that night in the Babylonian Empire falls. So he is the final king of the Babylonian Empire, and this is two years after last week's vision that we looked at. Um, and so that's contextually what's going on. Babylon has not fallen yet, uh, but it is coming. And this is sort of as you now know how Daniel has responded to all of these events in history. It's kind of fun and helpful to see some of the things the Lord was doing behind closed doors to prepare Daniel to respond in those ways. All right. And so this is that's the context, and he, he re- receives this vision. And after the first vision that he got, uh, he says, so this is the second vision that he got during Belshazzar's reign. And verse 2 says, And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. So he isn't physically transported there, but in the vision, he is there. So Daniel is in Babylon still. Susa will later become the capital of the, the Persian Empire. Or actually, it's already the capital of the Persian Empire, but Persia is about to overtake them. 
and we'll see, that's where the setting of the, the book of Esther, if you remember we preached through that a while back, that, that's where that takes place because that's where the Persian capital sits. And so that's where he gets transported. He's there in Susa the Citadel in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. And, and so this is a, that's a canal that's historically kind of validated. It was a man-made canal through the city there. And, he, and I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. And it had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up at last. Verse 4, and I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward, and no, no beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue him for, or rescue from his power. He did as he pleased, and he became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram with two horns, which had been standing on the bank of the canal, and ran at him in his powerful wrath. And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram, and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, and he cast him to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. Alexander the Great, as we'll see in a bit. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. And out of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it be, together with a regular burnt offering because of the transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. And then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is this vision concerning the regular, <clears throat> concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary, and the host be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to the rightful state. All right, make sense? <laughs> no, right? All right. So let's just let's get into the interpretation a little bit, and we'll try to we'll try to draw some of it out. Verse fifteen. When I Daniel saw the vision, I sought to understand it. So Daniel doesn't get it either. He starts trying to think about it, and behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard the man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, and it called Gabriel, and it called and says, Gabriel, make this vision. Or make this man understand the vision. Now, this is awesome. I don't know if you know what's going on here, but Gabriel is one of the two named angels we have in the Bible. There's Gabriel and Michael. We'll see both of them in um, the book of Daniel. And so Daniel's trying to understand this vision, and he sees a guy standing in the canal, and that guy tells Gabriel what to do. So that should perk your interest, like, who tells, who tells the angel of the Lord what to do, right? Like, who tells Gabriel, who's one of the chief angels, what to do? Well, what we can kind of draw from that is this was likely another Christophany, right? Where that's the pre-incarnate Christ before he comes, you know, to be born of a virgin and, and die for our sins. He makes appearances throughout the Old Testament and, and will sometimes be called the angel of the Lord. Uh, you see him wrestling with Jacob in the book of Genesis and you see these, these different things. And so this is, the, this is one who has the appearance of a man and yet he is 
in charge of Gabriel. And so, so Daniel's having a hard time understanding this, and Jesus goes, hey, Gabe, help, help Daniel out. And, and you might be like, listen, that would be awesome, right? You ever been confused reading the Bible? Anybody? Wouldn't it be cool if you could have Gabe come help you? Wouldn't that be amazing, right? If God just goes, hey, um, Chris is struggling. Go help him, Gabriel. <laughs> like, like, Chris opened his Bible this morning. He's a little confused. Go, go, Gabriel, go, go get on it, right? And it's an incredible thing. And actually, there'll be more about this next week. But we should, we should A, kind of rejoice at that. And B, we should rejoice even more because we have an even better guide, an even better interpreter. When we open up God's word, we don't just have an angel. We have God himself. The spirit is sent as our helper to, to illuminate and to help us understand and to bring all things to remembrance. So we'll talk about that next week, but that's just a, a quick note that we should not approach God's word with fear and confusion, but rather with confidence that God wants us to understand this and he will meet us and illuminate his scriptures for us, right? And so, so that's just, that, that's the scene, right? So uh, the man tells Gabriel, hey, make this man understand the vision. So verse 17, so he came near to where I stood and when he came, I was frightened and I fell on my face, right? And so this is common. Anytime an angel shows up in the Bible, a human's immediate involuntary response is to hit the ground, right? Um, some of you wrongly think you will stand before God and reason with him about how you have been a pretty good person and he should let you in or he should let you into his presence. You need to understand that anytime just an angel who is not God but has just been in the presence of God. Anytime just that figure, that holy uh, being shows up, it is an involuntary response of immediate face down in worship, right? Every time we see a, 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 an angel in the Bible, that is a human's immediate response. And we should know that we don't stand before a holy God with anything other than holy fear, humility, and then in Jesus plea of his mercy and his grace, right? And so, so you, we just need to remember that and make note of that. Like just the presence of Gabriel makes Daniel, who's a man who's familiar with supernatural things, fall on his face terrified. But he said to me, the end of verse 17, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Okay, so he says, okay, Daniel, this is, this is for something that's coming later. So we have to keep in mind throughout all of this as we see these grand pictures of history that God is going to predict long before they happen, hundreds of years before they happen, it's cool to see that and go, okay, that's what God was doing with, with, with uh, Babylon and, and Persia and then Greece and Rome, but we, we don't need to forget that there's real people going through this in the moment, and Daniel is one of them, right? There's real people walking through the midst of this incredible stuff that we can look back on and read in just a few sentences for them was years of wonder. And so Daniel is in exile. Daniel is a Jew who loves God, loves his kingdom, and is eager to see God's people and God's kingdom brought back into its rightful place, right? Daniel is longing for the day when, when um, God's kingdom will be restored and the temple will be rebuilt and, and his people will live as they're supposed to live. He's longing for that. And he knows that it, they've got 70 years of punishment. And he's embraced that. He understands that. And yet he gets this vision and it alarms him. And the angel, sort of out of comfort and sort of what's going to be even more sobering, says, hey, this is for something even further away, right? This is for the, the time of the end. So verse 18, and when he had spoke to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. I think that's just uh, Hebrew for fainted, right? He just 
face to the ground, deep sleep, but he touched me and made me stand up, right? So Daniel just like passes out. The guy goes, no, no, get up. We got to talk about this. Verse uh, 19, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. Okay, so what he's saying is, hey, we're talking about the end here, Daniel. I'm going to give you some context. So here is a Jew in exile in Babylon somewhere at 600 or so B.C. I don't, I, don't quote me on that. I didn't look that. But, but and, and, and he's getting this vision for the future. And not just like the immediate future, but like way into the future to the time of the end. And again, that whole, you know, end times thing, Everybody, well, we're in the end times, we're in the end times. Well, yeah, that, that's often just referring to an age that is, that is now between, you know, Christ's coming and his second coming. Like, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a, a, a big uh, phrase that, that refers to a larger period of time. And so there gets to be a lot of confusion around that. And Daniel is no different. He's, he's confused, too, as to what this is referring to. But we need to know. We need to sort of have some, some context here. Um, as, as, we, as we think about these prophecies, um, Oftentimes, there's multiple layers of meaning to these prophecies, and there's multiple fulfillments to these prophecies, okay? So we see oftentimes, even in Isaiah, as, as we can look back and see all the prophecies that Christ fulfilled whenever he came and was born of a virgin and, and died on the cross, and we can read it in light of the cross and look like, and it looks like Isaiah is, was just writing a commentary of exactly what happened on the cross, but you realize that Isaiah wrote that hundreds of years before and you, you can see how there was some confusion and, and probably wasn't real clear as to how that was going to go down, right? And born of a virgin, and there's all of these, these languages. And so there's a, a helpful picture, John, if you just put that one of the mountains up. Sometimes with prophecy, what, what you'll have is, is, you, is you look at, at, at kind of look, looking at a mountain range, and, and, and from the front you could see like, okay, there's one mountain top, and then just right behind it there's another one, you know, and, and it's sort of the same they're just right there. Like if I just you know, climbed that one, it would just be a quick down and right back on the other one, right? And, and that's how you kind of see it. And then it can even keep going. Like, oh, there's just more and more. It could seem like one range. But then if you could see from the side, you actually see that there's significant valleys and significant distance in between those things. And so sometimes with prophecy, it's talking about something that's both near and far. Okay? Does that make a little bit of sense? It's talking about something that's both near and far. So we're going to see some of these prophecies are going to be fulfilled in just a, a few years, to a few hundred years, and then some of them are going to look all the way ahead to the end times for Daniel, okay? So you just need to know that. It's not going to be this cut and dry, oh, it's, this means this, and it must be this person, right? We have to sort of be a little bit open-handed about some of the details. God communicates this way so that there is some mystery um, remaining on purpose, and so just keep that in mind. Uh, that's what the, the angel says we're dealing with here is prophecy about the end times. So and yet, there's going to be some really uh, specific um, future times uh, for Daniel and past times for us as we get into verse 20 here. As for the ram that you saw with two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Okay, so we've, we've encountered this before, right? You see this pattern and you see, uh, we, we've talked about the two kings, we've talked about Media and Persia. Again, Daniel is in Babylon right now. Babylon has had his own animal uh, labels and his own beastly portrayal. Um, this is going to zoom in on what's coming right after Babylon and then right after that. It's still going to span several hundred years, but that's what we're talking about. And so he says, hey, the, the ram that you saw on the, the bank initially, the ram with two horns and then one horn was longer. You remember that from the first part of the, the passage? He says, that's the kings of Media and Persia. And we've seen in the past um, chapters that that 
one horn is longer because Persia uh, was, was, was stronger and a bigger kingdom and eventually overtook uh, the, the, Med- the Media kingdom as well and became the Persian Empire. All right, so, so that's the ram. And verse 21, and the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Okay, so again, we're zooming in on Media Persia and Greece here. And just, just hang with me because this, this, is, this is incredible. So, so the first king, or the first horn is the first king. The great horn is the first king. And as for the horn that was broken, in place of it, uh, four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And then the latter end of their kingdom, transgressions have, have reached their limit. Okay, so then it's going to get into uh, another sort of season and region here. Okay, so wh- why is God giving Daniel this vision? What is going on? Why does he need to know that? And certainly, maybe a, a better question is, why on earth do we need to know it right now? Like, what, what is the point of what's going on here? Here's, here's the deal. God has anointed his people. He has made promises and a covenant relationship with his people, the Jews. What did he promise? That he would be their God, that they would be, their pe- that they would be his people, and that the whole world would be blessed through them. Okay, so this is big picture context, meta-narrative of the scriptures, what God is doing. And Daniel is a part of those people. And now those people are in exile, and in the midst of this succession of kings and kingdoms that are certainly not allowing them to thrive. Now, they got there on their own because they didn't obey God, so it's a punishment, it's an exile that God allowed to happen. He's using these pagan nations to judge his own people. But I want you to picture, I want you to imagine what kind of questions, what kind of fear, what kind of Hope you are struggling to hold on to if you are in Daniel's position. Okay? In real time, not knowing what is coming, knowing that it, now there's several years into, like 30 or so years probably, actually a little bit more than that now, into this exile and wondering what's going to happen on the other side, wondering when is God, God is going to break through and, and what this looks like and seeing the news, seeing these world powers come in and okay, Babylon was incredible and now there's this growing empire of media Persia and, and as it says, man, that ram is running to the north, the south, the east, and the west and nobody could stop it, right? That's what that's referring to is the, the Medo-Persian empire. I think we've got a, a map of, of them as well. Um, and so if you can kind of see the green there is the Babylonian empire, which Daniel is, is currently in uh, under the rule of Belshazzar. And the Median Empire and the Persian Empire are growing outside of that. And, and in just a little bit, in just a, a couple short years, they are going to, to come in and conquer Babylon, and their kingdom will then um, contain that as well. And so there's this growing empire. I want you to imagine what that's like, right? This is real-life world news for Daniel, that there's this growing world power. And God, what are you going to do? Okay, you've show, God has showed himself to be at work in Babylon, right, and have control over that. Daniel has to be wondering, are you still going to be in control over this Persian people? Are you, what, are you, what are you doing, Lord? What are you planning, right? So these are some of the questions that, that just would be natural to be asked of a people in this situation. Okay, so Daniel receives this vision. God tells him, the angel, rather, Gabriel interprets it and says, okay, the first one's Medo-Persia, long horn, short horn. Then the goat, with its great horn, is the first king of Persia. Okay, so I told you, we've, we've looked at Alexander the Great a little bit. I told you that this week is going to be very specific 
about Alexander the Great, and this is incredible. As we see history and the Bible uh, just collide and be affirmed, it's, this is so, like, chapter 8, chapter 11 are so incredibly specific and so incredibly foretelling that critics of the Bible, liberal scholars, will insist that it had to have been written later. It had to have been written after the fact as prophecy on the other side because it's so specific. There's no way they could have known. There's no way Daniel could have known. And that is a common criticism about the book of Daniel if, if you look at it from a secular standpoint and you hear what, what they would say about it. This story if, 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 like, is going to affirm that indeed Daniel was hearing from God hundreds of years before these things happened. It's an incredible, incredible story. So all of this is around 200 years before Alexander was even born. Okay, so it just went really quick from Persia to Greece, but you need to know there's like 150 years in between there. Okay, and when Persia comes in and they take over, they, um, Cyrus allows God's people to go back home. Okay, so Cyrus, we see this in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and even Esther, that, that Cyrus, the king of Persia, allows God's people to go back home and he even funds the rebuilding of the temple. Okay, so that all happens in, in the you know, 150 years or so that Persia is on the throne. But then he's already talking about what's coming after that. You know, you hear the passage that, you know, a, a, day, you know, a thousand years is like a day for the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm butchering that. But basically that time, like God is not in time. He's outside of time. He sees all the, and, and he's literally showing this. And so when he talks about Alexander the Great, 200 years before he would even come, yeah, there's not... His name's not there, but there's explicit reference. And even the kingdom of Greece would be labeled as, like, the goat would be their sort of thing. And we don't even know why, but the guy before Alexander just kind of claimed that. And, and so there's, there's all of that relevance and all of that reference there. But here's what I want to tell you. There's a, there's a historian named Josephus who's um, widely just accepted as um, a, a, just a prolific Jewish historian. He was not a, a Jesus follower um, but he wrote the antiquity of the Jews in around 94 AD, right? So a few, you know, 60 years or so after Jesus's uh, resurrection and ascension, this guy named Josephus wrote an incredible um, volume series of, of history called the antiquity of the Jews. And you've probably heard about it before, and, and you can reference this yourself. Um, but this takes back and proves that indeed Daniel was written when it says it was written during this time and not afterward, okay? So what Josephus records is that as Alexander was ascending to power and as he was getting ready to make a move on Persia, that one night he had a dream. And he had a dream, and in that dream, he was approached by a man in purple clothing. This guy was robed in purple, and he had, a he had the name of God, of Yahweh, across his chest, and that this man approached him and told him that now was the time to make a move on Persia and to, advance, and to, to conquer, conquer the world and advance his kingdom. Right? So it, it messes with, with Alexander, but he just sort of puts it away and then moves on. Right? So he says he has this dream while he's in Macedonia. And then as, as Alexander marches on Jerusalem a few weeks later, I, I don't know exactly how long, but as he marches on Israel, and, and um, again, this is part of, you know, Judah has been allowed to go back home. God's people are back home, but they're still under the Persian rule, right? And so Alexander's conquering Persia, but as a part of that, 
Persia has allowed these, these exiles to go back home and reform their, their cities and their rule, but they're still underneath Cyrus's rule. And so as a part of that, he's got to conquer. He's coming at, at Judah and Israel and, and Jerusalem in particular. And so as he conquers and comes in, everybody's hearing about it. Alexander the Great is, is making this move. He's, he's conquering people swiftly. And as he's coming then into the, the city of Jerusalem, where God's temple is, the, the high priest there has um, this encouragement, this vision from the Lord to, uh, instead of trying to oppose Alexander, to actually welcome him, right? So they, they throw this sort of parade, this reception-type party, and so normally Alexander's coming in, and he's just there to do business, conquer, kill anybody that opposes, and move on. Like, that's just how he's going to roll. But they say, okay, let's, let's actually roll off the welcome mat a bit. And so that's what they do. And so as he approaches Jerusalem, instead of running in to conquer, Alexander sees all of this. He sees the, the colors. He sees the reception. And he gets down, and, and he actually walks in alone. And his rulers are going, hey, or you know, his, his generals are going, what, what are you doing? He goes, no, no, I'm, I'm going to go in alone. And so as he walks into Jerusalem, as he walks toward the, the center of the city, which would be the temple, he sees, guess who? The high priest. And guess what that dude decided to wear that day? is purple, right? So there's this high priest in his purple robe with the same name across his chest, and immediately Alexander remembers the vision. He remembers the dream that he had. And so as he goes and he talks to the high priest, <clears throat> he, he's the high priest, he remembers this, this vision from this high priest telling him to attack the Persians, and so um, He goes in and he talks to the he talks to the high priest. The high priest um, he, he shares with him, "Hey, you're the man from the dream." And the high priest says, "Yeah, you're you're the man from the Bible." So then, check this out. So Alexander goes into the temple with the high priest to offer a sacrifice and to worship God with the high priest. Honor the high priest as a man of God. Right? We don't see that he, he converted, but he's honoring God as a man of God. The high priest. In the temple, then opens up the Bible, guess where? To Daniel chapter 8. And he showed Alexander the prophecy that a king from Greece would conquer Persia. And the priest said, You are him. So go. God is in this. God, my God, whom I know you don't worship, my God is controlling all of the nations. And he says right here that a king from Greece will conquer Persia, and you are that fulfillment. Welcome. And go with God's speed. So the high priest is there with, Dan with Alexander. Alexander believed the prophecy in the word of God and asked the high priest what could he could do for him. So, so Alexander goes, okay, man, this is a confirmation of this, this dream that he had. He sees that God's at work. And so Alexander goes, okay, what can I do for you? And the high priest says, can we have religious freedom? Like as you conquer, as you go forward, will you let us keep worshiping our God? And Alexander grants it. And so there's this incredible, incredible story that, that this historian that has no agenda to promote Jesus says, no, no, it couldn't have been written later about Alexander the Great because Alexander read it from years before in the temple with the high priest. It's an incredible, incredible story from our God. And this is what leads the liberals to say there's, there's no way this was written beforehand. There's no way this kind of uh, exact like prophecy could be so accurate, and yet our God is saying, no, no, I know exactly what's coming. I'm controlling all of it, and this is my plan. 
So that is the story of the goat overtaking the ram. Now, I just want to briefly mention this last half and note that we're going to get into more of this guy and this part of history in chapter 11. So I'm trying to sort of pace myself a bit and know that that's coming. And so after Alexander the Great, um, as as you know, part of history, Alexander conquers the known world by like age 32 or 33, um, and then he dies, right? The story, the, the common consensus is he had a betrayer. He had a Judas amongst him that poisoned him. So he dies early. Um, his sons, he, doesn't, he hasn't appointed an heir. And so the, the kingdom is divided then amongst his four generals. So that's the four horns that come up from, you know, facing the different directions. So they, they divided geographically amongst his four generals. So that's the four kingdoms that shall arise from this nation, but not with his same power. So Greece will not have the same power under them as they did with Alexander. Verse 23 now, and the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressions have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. He shall cause fearful destruction, and he shall succeed at what he does, and he shall destroy mighty men and the men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit and prosper under his hand, and without and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up that vision, for it refers to many days from now. Okay, so this is the interpretation. So uh, it's pretty helpful from Gabriel on the first part. It's really clear. He goes, okay, yeah, the ram, you know, the ram, that's, that's Medo-Persia, and the goat, that's Greece. Cool, that's really helpful. This is not nearly as clear, and it's super confusing, honestly, uh, for both Daniel and for us. And this is where we sort of get into that mountain deal. Okay, yeah, I think it's probably this, but it's probably also that as well to, to uh, you know, smaller fulfillment and then later fulfillment as well. So what this is talking about, again, we'll get into this more, but this is, this is referring to one of the, out of the four generals, it comes into four kingdoms, and then later out of the Seleucid, um, part of that kingdom would arise this guy named Antiochus IV Epiphanes, right? So Antiochus IV, but then he adds on epiphanies onto his own name, which really means God manifest, which critics would, would later twist that language to, I think it's a, a, a different form of that word that actually meant madman. This guy was, this guy was sort of the, the pre, like pre-Jesus Hitler. This guy was out of his mind, um, crazy aggressive, and persecu- persecuting God's people in, um, in this moment. He killed several Jews he was, he, he defamed the temple, right? So he comes in, he, he sets up an altar to Zeus, a pagan god, in God's temple. He sacrifices a pig on God's temple, which is a huge abomination to the Jewish people. And he throws the word of God on the ground. There's, there's history that says he, he would literally like throw the scrolls on the ground and encourage people to walk on them, right? He's changing it. Like this, was a, this is a man who was aggressively persecuting um, God's people, uh, Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, and so this is is pointing ahead to that, and it's also he's sort of a a, a type of Antichrist or one of the Antichrist, right? So often we want to think of the one, and I think there will be one that is greater than the others that we'll know on the other side. But when we think of Antichrist, we think of this one particular beast. But John, you know, even in the New Testament, talks about there's going to be plenty that come 
before and plenty that rise up and fall. And so um, we, we, can, we can know that he is a type of Antichrist. He is one of them, and, and he has a lot of the credentials of the one at the end, but not all of them. And so, yes, it's Antiochus Epiphanes, but it's not just him. It's also pointing toward the end. So, so that part, again, it's just not going to be clear. It's just not going to be that clear for us. Okay? Um, because it's sort of, yes, it's already, a lot of it's already happened, and some of it is yet to happen. And so we're just going to have to know that and, and hold that in a bit of an open hand. But here's what I want to get to. So um, he, he does, he stops, the, I, I didn't mention this, but it says he stops the sacrifices. It, this guy, he does, he stops the Jews from sacrificing. He makes circumcision illegal. Um, he kills a bunch of saints. That's what he's referring to when he says he, he takes down many of the, the saints and the stars, right? The stars are going to refer to the angelic beings, right? So this is a cosmic battle that we're going to look at in a couple chapters too. And this guy it seems to win a lot of the battles, right? And that's what he's going to say. He's going to succeed in everything that he does. But, but, and this is what we need to remember about any of these great beasts and any of these great power, he will be broken, but by no human hand. Right, we saw this with Nebuchadnezzar. We saw this with Belshazzar. We're, we're going to see it over and over again that these great, even Alexander, right? Yes, he's great, and he did incredible things, but Jesus is even greater. And so by no human hand, so if you, if you follow the history, and again, uh, we're not going to focus a ton on this, but this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, he ends up dying, not in battle, but with some bowel infection. So God just gives him a really bad bellyache, and the dude is out, Right? touches his bowels, the dude gets infected, sepsis, he's done, right? So this guy, yes, he, he persecutes God's people, and it seems as though he's winning, but God has a plan, and eventually he puts that guy down, puts that guy aside, and he's going to move on to the end. So, so this is the vision that Daniel gets, and this is the explanation that Daniel gets from the, from the angel Gabriel. How does Daniel react? I, Daniel, verse 27, was overcome and lay sick for some days. It makes him sick. It Listen, here's, here's the deal. We too often get a, a narrow view of what our life is and what God should be doing and we start wondering why he's not doing what we think he should be doing and we start wondering how this is gonna pan out. We see things on the big scale. We see the world news. We see what's happening in America. We see the, the churches and the pre, you know all of these things that, are, that seem to be going wrong and we can get overwhelmed and freaked out and God comes in and gives this basically in some ways, this is certainly an oversimplification, but in some ways what God is telling Daniel is, hey, you got a long way to go before you get home. we still got a lot left on the journey. So it's the kid who's just rolled into Georgia thinking he's close to Florida. God's going, eh, we actually got a long way to go still. we got a long way to go still. And for Daniel, this is hard news. Because he's thinking, okay, we got 70 years in, in exile, and after that, I mean, I don't know what he's, but I assume he's thinking, okay, 70 years, we'll pay our debt, and then we'll get to go back and restore what God has, has called us to be as God's people. And, and God knows that his people are going to perpetually struggle and perpetually rebel, and he's going to continue to have to, to put them through discipline, but also through all of that discipline, he's bringing about his kingdom to bear. So think about this. So, yes, Daniel's hearing this news, of it's not just going to be Babylon, but after Babylon, there's going to be more. There's going to be Persia. And then after Persia, there's going to be Greece. And, and, and none of, like all of this, he's, he's not saying, okay, and then Israel's going to get back in power. He's saying, no, no, there's going to be this pattern of 
pagan king after pagan king seeming to have victory over God's people, but, but God is saying, don't fret when all of that happens. I'm actually in control of it, and that gives the people in exile hope to persevere to the other side, okay? That gives them hope. Like, the kid in the car, hey, I promise this is the direction to go. I promise we're headed there, and eventually we'll get there. You need to, you need to have hope. You need to be patient. You need to trust mom and dad. This is, this is for, for Daniel and for us what we have to receive, what we have to embrace. So here's what God does through this timeline, through this history, and we'll look at this a bit more detail in chapter 11, but God has a very precise calendar that he's working on through history, and it's often inscrutable to us, right? We're not going to be able to see it. We don't know it. Why? Because he has a whole lot for us to do in the meantime. If he tells us what, exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen, we're going to be prone to just check out. I kind of joked about some of those people um, that, that think they know, right? They got the charts and graphs, and they want to call you over for a meeting and tell you why the world's going to end in 32 days, right? I kind of sort of joked about that, but there's people that do that. And recently I heard of some people here locally that did that. Like, they're in on that, and you know what? They just, bought, they just went out and bought a really expensive car. Why? Because it doesn't matter. Jesus is about to come back. And I'm like, I don't know how to... Please don't tell people you're on our team. Like, I just want to troll them and discredit them. Like, no, no, no. And that's what can happen. When we think we know it's almost over, we'll check out. Right? So God keeps this mystery for us because he has a work for us to do in the meantime. And so you see for Daniel, he's hearing about Persia. He's hearing about Greece. He doesn't understand how all of that is preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ. All that God is doing is, is getting his people, getting his world, getting his temple ready for the first coming of Jesus Christ. What do you mean? Well, here's the deal. Persia, they allow God's people to go back home and rebuild the temple. Okay? So why did he allow Persia to come in and take over Babylon? Because he was going to judge Babylon now. He's done with them, and he's going to use Persia to be what allows God's people to go back home. Now, Greece, what's he doing there? If you know anything about Greece, like th there was a different sort of kingdom. They focused on a lot of things like education, right? They focused on getting Greek to be the common language throughout the whole world and empire, right? You know some of this from your history? Brush back up on that. They sort of advanced this common language. They sort of pushed that out in education and getting people literate so that they could read and write and communicate with one another. They were advancing this kingdom. And, and what, is, what is our New Testament written in? Greek. What comes after Greece, Rome, they build a bunch of roads. What, what language do they choose? Greek. They build a bunch of roads, a bunch of infrastructure that allows when Jesus does come for his message to go forward, right? You see how God is, is using all of this to get his world ready for the first coming of Jesus. Now, here's a quick, I'm going to try to wrap this up and encourage us because for Daniel, that wasn't really clear. And we can look back and go, okay, yeah, we see how God did that with Alexander the Great. We see how Antiochus Epiphanes fulfilled that prophecy. For Daniel, that's still in the future. He's got all, like, Babylon's not even fell yet. The, the temple hasn't even been rebuilt yet. You see how this would be hard for him to compute? It'd be really cloudy for him. And Daniel's kind of the, the dream guy, right? He's kind of the vision guy. Like, that's his MO. He's, he's the guy everybody comes to. And yet it's confusing for him because it hasn't happened yet. So here's the deal. For you and I. There's a whole lot that's prophesied that's coming. And yeah, there's beasts, and yeah, there's, you know, um, tribulation and wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of signs that are confusing, aren't they? They're confusing. And yet, how does Daniel respond? So he's sick, 
He lay sick for some days, but then he says, I rose and I went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision and I did not understand it. And it cripples him for a minute, but then he gets up. And what does he do? He goes to work. For a pagan king, nonetheless. Why? Because God has made it clear that he's using that pagan king. God's made it clear that he has a plan for Babylon and for Daniel to be in Babylon to be used for this season for what God is doing. It's not clear to Daniel. He doesn't get all of the details, but he gets the assurance that God is in control, that he can trust him, that God knows where he's going, the route that he's taking is on purpose, and the destination will be worth getting there. So Daniel gets up and goes back to work. You see, we as Christians, we're not called to retreat into some weird state of holy huddles and start a cult. Right? Just because we know the end's coming, we know Jesus is going to come back, that's not our response. Instead, what do we do? We get about the king's business. I want to read really quick from Matthew 24, and then I want to end with a quote from uh, John Wesley and, and encourage us in today's world. So Matthew 24 would be sort of our equivalent or, or our parallel, if you will, to what Daniel received then for the future, uh, that what's going to be in future for Daniel and what God is going to do in history. Jesus is sharing with his disciples in what's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 25, and parts of 26, where he's going to be talking about the end as well. And there's going to be a lot in that. You go, you go home and try to read, you should, read, read Matthew 24, 25, you're going to be confused later. I have a lot of questions, and that's okay. My point is, just like Daniel was confused, did not get it, but he still got up and went to work trusting that God was going to use him and glorify him, that's our call as well. So, Daniel, so Matthew 24, Jesus says this, verse 3, As he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus answered them and, <clears throat> and said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they, they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Okay, so Jesus said, you're going to hear these things, but don't be alarmed, because the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and a kingdom, a kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And he says this. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I keep reading. There's going to be some more confusing stuff. But the sum of it, the point that Jesus is saying, you don't need to be alarmed. This is all part of the process. I have an end goal in mind. And when I'm finished, I'll make all things right. When I'm finished, we inherit the earth, as we saw the angel told Daniel last week. So there's confusing parts. We get up and get about the king's business. What does he say? What, what do we know from verse 14 is going to happen? Does it say what's going to happen to the United States of America? Does it say whether, you know, it's going to be made great again or not? Does it say whether we're going to last? Realize we're only a couple hundred years into this deal, right? Like, how long, like how long is God, God going to use America? Like, does it say that? No. 
Does it say what comes after that? Does it say if we're still going to exist whenever? Like, no, what, what does it say, though? Verse 14, and the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What do we know? We know there's still hundreds of people groups equaling millions of people who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Today, like that's a reality. And people debate about, okay, well, what does he mean by people groups and ethne? And maybe it's, here's what we know. He ain't back yet. So the king's still got work for us to do, right? We don't know the details. We, if we could freak out about it. We can wonder and we should study. We should be curious. We should want to know as much as we should know. But ultimately, we get out of our bed and we get about the king's business. So here's what we could see from this pattern, this promise in Daniel, is that God is, has a purpose in mind for his kingdom and he's not afraid to take his people through suffering and through persecution to accomplish his purpose. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. Does not mean he doesn't love us. It means he's got a home for us on the other side of this deal. And he's got a whole kingdom to purchase for himself. And he wants to use us to accomplish that purpose. So would it be out of, God's, out of his character to use crazy times like this to advance his church? No, it wouldn't. You know, in the, in the New Testament, right, like when Jesus tells his disciples as he ascends, hey, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? You know that, like, they didn't really leave well. How did he get them to the ends of the earth? He started allowing persecution. It's not a fun, it's not a fun thing to realize, but, like, he started allowing persecution. It starts pushing the, the gospel out, starts pushing his people out. America has set on a whole bunch of privilege, a whole bunch of power with the gospel for a lot of years, and we've not done all that we could do with it. What do I mean by that? We have thousands of churches with millions of dollars, and yet the millions of people who don't know Jesus have not broken our hearts and compelled us to get up and go. There's suffering, there's vulnerable right here in our midst. There's kids being aborted, there's kids needing homes, and the church has largely Set silent. And, and so am I saying God is judging? I, I don't know all of that. It wouldn't be out of his character to use times like this to push his people back into the dark places of the world so that his kingdom could go forward. So instead of hunkering down and worrying about that, we can lean into that. We can lean into that. Y'all heard about the bison? The CrossFit dude that's all into bison now, he's making this saying popular now, into the storm. He's got a bison farm. But, but here's what I didn't know about buffalo. When they, hear, when they see a storm coming, when they, they sense it coming, they start walking toward it. They start walking into it. Why? Because they know that that'll give them the shortest amount of time being in it. So just go put their head down and go. Listen, we know Things are going to continue to be crazy because people are sinful, people are evil, and nations will turn into beasts, right? Like that's the pattern of Daniel. But we know that at the end, Jesus is good and he wins. And what we do know, even though we don't know the details about America and our life and what's in our future, what we do know is that Jesus will get for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So what we can do is lean into the storm. Go ahead and lay down some of our comforts. Go ahead and lay down some of our dreams and instead pursue his, right? That's the gospel call, right? To lay down our lives, 
Those who seek to save their lives will lose it. Those who want to lose their lives for the sake of the gospel will find it. Let me just close with this this, uh, story about John Wesley. So if, if... if, if you know anything about it, I don't have time to introduce him a ton, but there's a story about him being stopped by a stranger on his way to a preaching engagement. So he's, he's, he's preaching, he's moving around, and, and they stop him and they say, hey, what would you do if you knew Christ was going to return at noon the next day? Okay, so this is what they asked John Wesley. Hey, what would you do if you knew Christ was coming back tomorrow at noon? Wesley reached into his saddlebag, retreated his diary, and read out, read out his engagements for the rest of the day and for the morning of the next day, and said, that, dear sir, is what I would do. Why? Because Wesley had already counted the cost and already began to live his life in light of the future that he knew was sure to come. You see, he had reverse-engineered his life going, okay, I don't know the details between here and there, but I know the end. Because I know the end, that's going to inform how I live in the present. And he was about the king's business. So he'd already lined up his life in such a way that was glorifying to God. It didn't cripple him with fear. He didn't have to, it says, no, I just keep doing exactly what God has called me to do. For his knowledge of the Lord's future kingdom allowed him to live already for that kingdom. And that was the same spirit that Daniel had. John Wesley made a huge impact. So did Daniel. Why? Because they're living for that future. They reverse engineered their life based off of what they knew was coming. So we got to get up and get back at the king's business. Trust that we don't know the details between here and there, but we know the end. So let's work toward that. Spread the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Love, ju- love justice. Do mercy. Walk humbly with our God. And let him use us. Let him use us. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would just help us to understand to the degree that we are able um, where you're taking us and that we, that we would have faith that you are a, a trustworthy father who has not lost his way, who has not nodded off, has not misread the the map, but instead you know exactly what you're doing and why. Would you give us that faith, Lord? For those that may be here that that don't know you, I pray that, that through this message of your word you would bring faith and you would bring hope and you would bring salvation. We ask these things in Jesus' name now. Amen.